we like to joke around a lot here on the uh, on the podcast, but I have a legitimate, very serious question for you right now. How much money would I have to pay you to walk around rhyming everything you say and calling yourself Nolamite? <laughs> for how long do I have to do this? And... Let's say a year. If it wasn't cultural appropriation, I would feel way better about it. So <laughs> that would be the hard part for me. I don't think you could give me enough money for me to, yeah, I don't know. We'll find a number later. Don't worry. I know some people with some cash. We'll talk. (laughs) Welcome to Bad Movies and Beer. I'm Cooper. I'm Nolan. And we today are discussing just a world-class late 70s film. It's The Human Tornado, the sequel to Rudy Ray Moore's seminal blaxploitation masterpiece, Dolomite. Yeah, um... It's my very first exploitation film, and I know that you are a fan of the genre and like pretty familiar with it, so it's kind of intimidating for me to talk about it with you in some ways, because I have zero background or experience. You know what, though, man? It's intimidating for me to talk about, too, because, I mean, it's kind of a dicey genre to talk about, right? Like, as a white guy, it feels kind of weird to be like, yeah, I'm a huge fan of black exploitation films because the, like it's right there in the name, right? These were films that were predominantly made to exploit black movie-going audiences. Now, in the case of the Rudy Ray Moore movies, like he was a black creator who was like writing these scripts and getting these things produced, and that's a little bit better. And that's kind of how a lot of this movement started with like creators who didn't have voices basically funding their own projects because they wanted to put their kind of images and their kind of life and their kind of world on the screen. But then as what always happens, as soon as like the movie studios owned by predominantly white guys saw that there was an audience for this, there was an audience who wanted to see these movies, they immediately started like making these on the cheap just to sell to black audiences. And that's where you get to the exploitation part, right? So it's kind of a tricky thing because on the one hand, for a lot of black people at the time, they were so excited to see representations that mirrored their life or people who looked like them on the screen, they would willingly go and pay their money for oftentimes like subpar entertainment. But it's it's going to be tough to talk about a little bit on that level. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, representation in all kind of media is a huge deal, right? It's just something that even now, even though these were made late 70s, still hasn't happened, right? We're, we're not there yet. And it's, it's kind of shocking and problematic that there isn't more of alternative voices or alternative perspectives or just more than token characters and most of the stuff that get produced in Hollywood. I was going to say, especially now, this is an issue. Like, this is a huge thing. And this is a real moment right now where uh, there is a finally a good push for that, right? Yeah. So... What I'm happy to hear is that this film and my sort of first exposure to this style of film, in watching it, you can tell uh, it was clearly created by the star, Rudy Ray Moore, right? He looks like he had a hand in writing it. He even talks to the audience throughout. He kind of fourth walls it and tells you when awesome shit comes, he can't help but narrate over it in the movie. And it's funny, when you start the credits, everyone is an assistant to Rudy Ray Moore, right? Like everyone that was there just to help him make this happen. And I think clearly he was the driving force behind these films. Yeah, man. And I don't know. Did you see the Netflix uh, movie Dolomite is My Name with Eddie Murphy? No. It was him playing Rudy Ray Moore. And they kind of went through some of what we're talking about, right? And so what I kind of learned from that, and again, there were some inaccuracies with that. Obviously, it's a little bit of artistic license taken. But a lot of these films were like a very, like it was a community effort. It was him like pulling in friends, pulling in people he knew to kind of like do whatever job was necessary to make this movie happen. And I think that's an important thing for us to mention kind of at the top here, which is like, 
we're basically a comedy podcast. We like to laugh about like bad things in movies. And you know what? This movie, let's be honest here, it's incredibly low budget and it's uh pretty ridiculous in points. But I don't I want to make it clear, like we are not in any way, shape, or form laughing at like the black experience or the black audiences of this time. Like I do love these movies, the style and the language and the way these characters talk to each other and kind of like the music and stuff. Like it's a whole different world that I find just fascinating and incredible and like really, really interesting. And yeah, like entertaining and some parts are funny, but like this movie, there's clearly a comedy element to this movie. Yeah, it it is definitely made, uh, and a lot of the choices are intentionally um, cheesy to entertain, right? And that's sort of the focus of them. Like, it really is sort of an entertainment piece, and I, I think Rudy Ray Moore would be happy that we sort of enjoy or laugh at many of those pieces too, right? Hopefully. Or he'd call us rat soup-eating motherfuckers and be mad that we're uh, <laughs> laughing Talking at his, about movie, his but... movie. Yeah, maybe too. Yeah. That also. This is an unfortunate transition to the kind of beer that we are drinking today because, like, Man, I just really wanted to like talk about this movie, and so when it came time to like look for a beer, uh, the only connection I could make with a beer that was like available to us in the Ontario area, I hate this, but the beer we are drinking today is named after like the worst character in the whole fucking movie. What are we drinking today? We have a very evil character uh, who sets out to find and kill our main character, Dolomite, and his name is the Sheriff. And in this absolutely horrible racist piece of shit, unfortunately, is the connection we have for our beer. I'm hoping the beer is much better than the character in the movie. Uh, This is uh, an IPA from the Outlaw Brewing Company. Uh, They're based out of Southampton, Ontario, which is sort of a smaller town. Uh, So I think they're right off of uh, Lake Huron. They uh, they have a brew pub, so they have a big selection of food and a handful of beers. Uh, and I'm excited to try this. I've never had anything from them. I think they built their brewery in uh, an old hotel, like one of the first hotels in the town. It's like a couple hundred years old or something. It sounds like a pretty cool space. Okay. Well, yeah. Again, an unfortunate connection that we are drinking a beer called The Sheriff. I love this movie and I want to talk about this movie. So I kind of grabbed at any connection, even even a shitty one like that. Let's get into it. Yeah, you know what? We might as well. We've talked about it enough. Let's do it. We open with some kind of like vaguely off-key sounds and the Dimension Pictures logo. And then it's Rudy Ray Moore, who is essentially advertising himself in like a stunt cape. (laughs) Yeah, he's got mirrors kind of in front of him and he's doing some of his moves. What becomes really clear to me is that this is somewhat inspired by some martial arts films, but he has zero martial arts training. Yeah, man. He's topless at one point doing these like kung fu moves. We get the title and credits. There's a song playing during this. It is the theme song of this movie, which I can only assume is called Human Tornado. The chorus is like, he's a human tornado. And it is clearly being sung by Rudy Ray Moore himself. Yeah, this is awesome. I love that he's singing this song. As you said at the beginning of the podcast, he is really good at sort of communicating through rhyme and poem. He kind of does that all the way through the movie. And this is just the beginning with the song that introduces himself. We also get in these credits, uh, introducing Java. <laughs> so apparently there's a person named Java who is in this movie, which like, I don't know. I was fucking, this is interesting. Like, I'm like, who the fuck that is that? That one stood out for you? Yeah, it was... Uh, 
I think they even have a character named Java. Like, I think the actor or actress is called Java, but I think the character is also called Java. So I thought that was interesting. Well, they're playing themselves? Is it like a Tom Jones Mars Attacks thing from last week? Yeah, yeah. exactly. I think All so. Right. So I mistakenly gave Tom Jones credit for one of the earliest cases of a celebrity yeah, playing themselves. Yeah, but Java had this down way before. Like, Java had that nail. There you go. From there, we fade into like a disco ball and we see Dolomite performing in a 70s club wearing the world's biggest bow tie. <laughs> this dude is wearing some giant fucking bow ties in this movie. I'm jealous of them. Uh, as a person who owns several bow ties, I was definitely jealous of the collection that Dolomite had uh, on display here. You own several bow ties? Yeah, I do. To what end? I wear them with my suits. Like, instead of wearing a traditional tie, I very frequently will wear a bow tie. Uh, Sorry, you say bow tie? (laughs) (laughs) Bow tie. (laughs) Maybe that's the beer. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, we see here the unique rhyming delivery you were talking about. And the act is uh, very heavy in, like, sexual undertones. I would even call those overtones. He's kind of going over the top with some of the sexual content. Wow, he is immediately attacking the audience and i know this is common in comedy shows but he's picking out people and insulting them for being fat and ugly and having small penises and being unable to perform uh yeah sexual acts i guess (laughs) yeah he's like a black don rickles only with like bongo drums and a dancer and a thong behind him yeah, the ryth- the rhythmic music and the dancing was kind of a strange addition to the act for me. What I learned or kind of figured out through this movie is that I guess a lot of the performing clubs often had dancing women sort of there in the background or a part of their shows. And that I, I guess that's a 70s thing. In so many exploitation movies I've seen, the clubs do have this. They have live music and they have dancers. And it, I don't know if that, like, maybe that is indicative that it was actually a thing back then. But again, this is a world we don't know, right? That's part of the fun for me of these movies is seeing this whole different universe, which maybe was the way it was. We got to find some people from the 70s and start asking some questions. I said we should ask your mom, but you you were not down with that. Well, I don't think my mom would have, uh, my mom's a progressive lady, but I don't, well, except for when she wouldn't fucking rent The Last Dragon for me. So I yeah, strongly well, doubt she would have been any of these So she wouldn't have been there. Yeah. <laughs> Shots fired at my mom right there. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Cooper's mom. From there, we dissolve to a car pulling up to a very large house. And we gather this is Dolomite's house. There's a white woman who gets out of the car and she is there for, there's no other way to say it. She's just there for some sex. She's there to have sex with Dolomite. Uh, but he's busy. Turns out there's some kind of like community meeting in his house. There was a charity event for a boy's home was supposed to happen, but we found out it was canceled. Luckily, Dolomite is going to donate his home and everything in it for this uh, boy's home, which is very magnanimous of him. He's giving away his fucking house. Yeah, he's got this huge house and he decides to give it away to help support what I can assume are sort of like orphaned boys. I guess, or like a like a youth group kind of thing. Like, you know, I, but yeah, either way, he says, uh, let us now talk to some of our distinguished guests is how he ends his speech to these presenters. And from there, we cut to him right in the bedroom where the woman is naked on the bed. So I guess she's the distinguished guest he's going to be talking to. <laughs> I don't think there's going to be a lot of talking in there. He's going to be using his human tornado skills to uh, please her. But what was interesting is he mentions about her paying him. So I was wondering if I guess he was making some money on the side for betting these women who come to him. She says he's worth every penny. Yeah. While this is happening, we cut away to it's kind of like a couple of rednecks and like a maybe it's like a station wagon. They see all of these black people meeting at this house. And that, of course, is very uh, disconcerting to them. I guess they don't like the idea of so many black folks like organizing or meeting somewhere. So they go to the sheriff 
to break it up. Now, the actor playing the sheriff, I use the term actor loosely. Uh, this guy is fucking awful. He is an awful actor. And he looks kind of like a racist Michael McDonald. <laughs> yes, he does. I wish he was singing uh, like Michael McDonald. But fuck, are you saying all his lines yeah. instead of saying them? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> just like Dolomite was a poetic, and he was yeah. Um, his acting was so over the top that it made it feel like he was trying to play. I mean, the character is kind of like mentally unstable, but he was deranged in the way that it was coming off. Like it was just so bad. If we were doing like a bad acting Mount Rush more it would be like him that fucking lead henchman from swamp thing uh the guy who yells freeze in murphy's lot like yes. he's on the mountain he's i want to say this guy's real bad acting. now is he the worst actor in this movie no that's a good point so perhaps he'll be knocked off in a second by one of the other guys that we meet but he's yeah. he's fucking real bad he's awful he heads up to the house to try to break up the meeting they're spotted ahead of time by uh some of the guests one of them is a young ernie hudson from Ghostbusters. Did you notice that? No, I had no idea. Yeah, no, he's got his head shaved, which is a look I've never seen on him before, but he's there and he notices. They go to tell, uh, kind of warn everyone the sheriff is coming. Shortly thereafter, the sheriff in an extremely low-budget posse bust in the house and hassle the guests. I mean, he did not exactly find a lot of support for this fucking mission. He's got a couple of, like, yokels and, like, his assistant fucking Charlie, and that's about it. No, it's rough. He tells them to shoot to kill if they need to. He breaks in and then immediately starts getting physical with a female at the party. She's not so receptive, knees him in the balls. And right after this happens, kind of a door swings open to the bedroom. And he sees that the woman in bed with Dolomite is his wife. Now, she tries to blame it on Dolomite like he made her do it. But his comeback to this is just fucking astounding. He just says, Bitch, are you for real? <laughs> 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 yeah the delivery uh, of some of his lines are pretty fantastic her trying to pull that shit is awful yeah what does the sheriff say uh to the deputy when he finds his wife and dolomite in bed together oh he's immediately tells deputy charlie to kill them and charlie sure enough blows away the sheriff's wife just shotguns her to the chest dolomite executes like an action hero role pulls a gun, shoots Charlie, and then does a naked dive down the hill, which we get an instant replay of along with commentary. They just, you mentioned this, they just shatter the fourth wall like immediately. We're like 10 minutes into this movie, the fourth wall is obliterated. It was hilarious. He fucking bolts out of that house and dives off of what can only be described as a giant hill or cliff of plants, fully naked, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, fully naked, dives off it, and... The replay of it with him narrating is amazing. He's just shouting out to the audience that, yeah, I really did that shit, man. I dove naked over this thing and rolled down this huge hill for you. So you better enjoy it. And I mean, good on him for doing that. <laughs> it's like, that's a bold move. You know what? Just fun in the edit bay right there is all that is. He's like, oh shit, this thing can rewind. Let's do, let's put that in there, right? Just having fun with it. <laughs> I think there is a bit of that. As we get to more action scenes later in the movie, they definitely use the editing. So. Oh my God, dude. Oh. Later on, there is another version of this that is like mind blowing. And we're going to get to that and I can't fucking wait because it is like one of the most astounding things I've ever seen captured on film. He jumps into a getaway car at the bottom of the hill. It turns out most of his friends, including Ernie Hudson, were on their way out of there. He kind of chides them for ditching him there. But either way, he's in the car now. From here, we get just an amazing car chase. The music is incredible. Um, the sheriff is chasing after their car. But like many of the action scenes in this movie, they just speed up the film to like, which <laughs> none of it looks natural at all. Uh, my God, this scene is just great. It's such a corny car chase. Uh, really bad action, but 
it keeps it moving, right? It's funny. So much of this is done on the cheap, but effective enough that it keeps you connected or moving through the story. So they're getting away, kind of, but they decide they need to set a trap to stop them from catching them. Yeah, so once they've got a bit of a lead, they kind of pull off on like a side road. Most of them bail out of the car. Another guy pulls the car horizontal across the road so that when the first car gets there, they have to stop. And as soon as they do, and I know this is going to drive you crazy, but (laughs) as soon as they stop, Dolomite, with the shotgun, he one-shots the car and it immediately explodes in just a giant explosion. (laughs) And you know what? I know you hate when this happens, but for me, and I I do too for the record, but for me, in this context, I'm kind of okay with it. I don't know what to say, except like (laughs) it fits. The trap was good. The blowing up of the car uh, with one shot of the shotgun shell was bullshit. As you know. I mean, hold on. At least it's a shotgun. It wasn't like the little stubby 9mm that Charles Bronson had. This is a shotgun. It's a big gun. What should have happened is that shotgun should have went in the window of the car and he should have blown everyone away in the car. The car itself should not have exploded. But that's okay. I, I let it go. I, I move past it. It's still probably a negative one for me because, you know, that's a problem. Oh, come on. It's, it's a big gun. <laughs> this movie's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous movie. It's supposed to be ridiculous. It is definitely ridiculous. Speaking of ridiculous, at that point, Dolomite and his friends decide to head to California. But Dolomite doesn't think hitchhiking is going to work, you know, because they're black. So who's going to pick them up? He kind of mentions that in his own unique way. Uh, also, the denim jumpsuit he's wearing, I could see that deterring a few drivers from... <laughs> <laughs> like, he has a matching hat, guy? too, but he's wearing a full one-piece denim jumper, which is sweet. Yeah, with a matching hat, yeah. Yeah, yeah which is so good. Um, I think it's hilarious and short-sighted that they blew up their car with the other car. <laughs> so now they yeah. don't have a ride to California to get away. Well, one of Dolomite's friends, one of his crew there, says that he thinks he can, in fact, get someone to pick him up. Now, he's shirtless at this point with his kind of waving his shirt around and he he tries to flag a car down and he does in fact win that bet he gets someone to pick them up but that's only because the driver is a raging homosexual stereotype yeah really bad this is probably the worst performance in the movie there's one more i'm thinking of that could be worse but he's definitely up there this guy is an atrocious actor worse worse than than the the sheriff. sheriff yeah like for sure I'm interested to see who you put ahead of him. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing that. Well, either way, he offers them a ride for a ride. So basically, he's offering to drive them to California if they'll f*** him, is what I'm gathering well, from that. Just offering Ugh. the one guy. He doesn't know that there's a crew there. Oh, that's true. That's fair. Yeah. Because as soon as uh, they open the door, they immediately hold up a gunpoint. All the other guys run out with the shotgun. And uh, luckily, he's not too upset about it. In fact, he's thrilled when he finds out they're headed to California and that he's being kidnapped. Apparently, it's kind of a big ego boost for him. Kidnapping me? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that played into the homophobia and the horrible acting for sure. Yeah, and now we get a few scenes that are just borderline unnecessary. I shouldn't even say borderline unnecessary. Totally unnecessary, borderline nonsensical. So first, after stopping to get Dolomite some new shoes. <laughs> Which, when he buys the new shoes, they narrate. he narrates over getting the new kicks. Boy, oh boy, good shoes for my feet. Now I can go and get me something sweet to eat. Which is hilarious. Again, I love each moment that he narrates over or he picks out to be really important. <laughs> yeah, man. Why new shoes was on the list of those moments. Like, I get jumping naked down a hill. That, yeah. that deserves a narration. <laughs> but putting on a new pair of shoes, 
I don't know. <laughs> and he just walks out with a big smile on his face as he's fucking narrating this rhyme about uh, new shoes for his feet. Now he's going to get something to eat. Like, yeah. that's the rhyme. It's not even like a good rhyme. It's just like whatever. God damn. Oh, no. Anyway, they pull over to get some gas and use the bathroom. But apparently there's a line in the men's room uh, because one of Dolomite's friends busts into the ladies' room, which, of course, is occupied. And uh, can't wait for the woman to get out of the toilet. So he just pees in the sink while the woman uh, who's on the toilet hits him with her purse repeatedly and just screams, what is this scene? Yeah, I guess it was just to grab laughs, right? Like this was thrown in there, hoping the audience would giggle at a, a like middle-aged woman with her panties around her ankles screaming and hitting a man pissing in a sink. Well, it worked. I was laughing. I don't know about you. <laughs> I'm so confused. Uh, while that's happening, Dolomite calls Queen Bee, who is the noted madam and club owner from the first Dolomite movie. This is, of course, the sequel to Dolomite. He lets her know that he's coming to town, and we get the title of the movie here as she reminds him how he blew some lady's mind with his... Uh, human tornado sexual prowess and the lady in question is named hurricane annie so we've got a tornado and a hurricane colliding sparks is what i'm gathering yeah whatever happens between those two in bed is definitely a messy storm well we're gonna see a little bit of that later on yeah spoiler alert uh <laughs> from there we cut to queen bee's club we get various clips of performance footage to a couple of different bands and then we get a florida mobster making a phone call to one of his underlings a guy by the name of cavaletti now, apparently, Cavaletti's been having trouble making money because of Queen Bee stealing business from his own club. He assembles a team of goons to get that place shut down, which they quickly start doing by smashing the place up. Yeah, so he decides instead of trying to make a better business, we'll just send some people down the street to fuck them up, and then they'll have to shut down. These guys are not playing very nice. They start smashing shit. Um, Queen Bee's friends don't take very kind of this, so they start kind of fighting back, punching the people. But then what happens? A guy with, like, a modified Tommy gun? It's a weird gun I've never seen before. He shows up and just kind of shoots the place up. And they continue with the smashing, and they also uh, rough up Queen Bee and kidnap two of the female employees. This is really strange. Even more strange. I mean, beating up Queen Bee is really weird. Kidnapping the employees is really weird. They take the two employees to a fucking haunted house? Yeah, this is so bizarre. But before that even happens, I thought you were going to say this. Even more strange... Uh, they call their boss who like we saw him on the phone scene earlier with like a lady who we guess is his like assistant or something. Now when they call him again, she's just sitting on his lap topless. Like this is so weird. Yeah, he's just fondling her breasts. There is a lot of gratuitous nudity in this movie. Yeah, um, tons. Yeah, definitely. And I guess that adds to the sort of interest of the people who were like it appealed to. Sure, man. I, I mean, I fucking kept my interest. Uh, <laughs> to <laughs> To your point, we see where he's putting them, and it is like a legit haunted house, complete with gratuitous cobwebs and an old crone. There's crazy just a snake. Really I don't I understand. I'm just really confused at why Cavaletti has an old crone in torture chamber house. She's on standby. She's like the, yeah. she's like the sheriff of Nottingham, man. He's got that old crone back in the tower to like fuck with Maid Marian. I really think when we meet her again at the end, he says mother. Uh, it's possible. I mean, I don't, I don't recall that, but we see that Dolomite is on his way. And before you know it, we're in Los Angeles. Uh, they pay the driver for the trouble they caused him, but he says no trouble at all. In fact, some might have to kidnap him to take him back home. So he's really happy to be in California. So now they go to look for Queen Bee. They take a taxi to her club. They find the place closed. They go looking for her. She's not home either. So they hit the town and they're checking various clubs and bars. 
almost all of these again have like singers and or lady dancers. So again, I'm asking myself, like, was this a thing in the seventies? We're not gonna know. We gotta if you know out there, if you were alive in the seventies and went to some like predominantly black clubs and did they have dancers and thongs like what do you got for us here give us some information please we're dying now yeah we might have to look for some documentaries or figure something out but if anyone has that info i would love to know as well yeah he he can't find queen bee and there's a mess so he decides to go for another lead right he tries to go find hurricane the one who gave him the nickname of the human tornado yeah and here at hurricane annie she is one of the dancers at one of these clubs they find her just as she's finishing her performance uh, turns out she hasn't heard anything about why Queen Bee's place would be closed, but she has a hunch and she takes them over to Cavaletti's club. They head in to get some answers. Now, the piano player in the band, who needs a little encouragement, ends up uh, kind of like Sing telling them that she is, in fact, in the building and they immediately spot her. So they know how they like, they slip the guy like 20 bucks or whatever to fucking tell him where she was. And then like two seconds later, they just see her walking across the bar. So that was a waste of money. But either way, <laughs> it was a waste of time too in the movie. It was funny, right? It was, it was a strange transition too. Oh, are you calling padding? You calling padding? I definitely on had some, uh, some padding. That's why the bathroom shot was in there and maybe some others. That's very possible. Yes. Uh, from there, we cut to the haunted house where the goons are now stringing up these two women they've stolen from Queen Bee's place. And uh, these guys are putting out some real rapey vibes, except for the part where they have put a bra on them. Like earlier, the crone ripped off their clothes and they had no bra. And now they're both wearing bras. I'm confused. They're dressing these women to like fucking hang them up. I don't understand. Yeah, I don't know. This was weird, too. I guess they decided it was better for them to be in like bra and underwear rather than to be naked as they were stuck to these torture devices for movie purposes. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. It was like a rating audience kind of thing. I don't know. Um, either way, while this is happening, Dolomite and Hurricane Annie have some time to kill, so we get a sex scene that starts out slow and sensual and then quickly turns bizarre <laughs> as they are exercising on some sort of pulley system. This is so fucking weird. I guess it's important to get your heart rate up and to get your body limber <laughs> before you get into these kind of actions, especially if your name is the Hurricane and the Human Tornado, right? Like, you know things are going to get a little bit twisty. Yeah, but sure enough, eventually Dolomite casts aside the pulleys and is like, I know something we could be doing that's fucking better than this. And then he, he, he like rolls over and they start kissing. And you know what? I was so fucking wrong about this back when we watched like. <laughs> oh, I got to I need to get to talk about this. You have to let me say this. So you made the very bold claim that in movies, a nipple has never been inside a character's No, no, mouth. no. Hang on. I said I had never seen it before, okay, which was right. complete well, yeah. bullshit. Because when we watched like two movies, I'd already seen it. It was already fucking in there. <laughs> but yeah, this is number four. Number four nipple in mouth uh, in a movie that was put into theaters. So this is great. I'm glad that we're there. We're keeping account. He also, uh, also kind of goes downtown on her. And then we get like a cut shot of him like eating a sandwich. Just to really try what was happening. Like I thought it was fried chicken, but yeah, they had to just really lay it out for us that what he was doing was performing uh, cunnilingus on her. Yeah, and then we cut back, and then she's got a banana that she kind of peels seductively, and you sort of think this is maybe going to be like a, a reverse of that scene where you're going to see her doing something with banana, but instead she just mashes it into his face, which I guess is some levity. I yeah, guess. that was funny. Ah. Uh, we, uh, from there, we cut to the sheriff. He's come to California looking for Dolomite. Apparently, he can't forgive him for nailing his wife. Local law enforcement, he's talking to a lieutenant. They haven't seen him, but they're going to help, mainly because the sheriff tells him that Dolomite murdered his wife. He was the one who murdered his own. Well, he didn't murder her, but he, he ordered his deputy to murder her. What a piece of shit. He told Charlie shit. to kill her. This guy's a piece of shit. 
I wish you had a better beer connection than this. This beer is like good, but come on. <laughs> if you can find a tornado based beer, please send us recommendations and we will drink it happily. Oh my god, I wish. There was a there's a beer called Dolomite. That's the only beer I would drink. Uh, <laughs> The lieutenant, anyway, tells him that he'll put his best man in it, and his best man happens to be a black detective named uh, Maddox? Mannix? I couldn't really catch his name. Pete was his first name. Pete is his first name, for sure. But it is really strange. When he calls the detective to tell him he needs him to investigate this, he's got, like, a woman in handcuffs, and he's like, seems like he's maybe trying to rape her? I think that is what's being insinuated, and I don't... I, I didn't really understand. Like, I guess they're trying to make you understand that he's a bad cop or that all cops are bad. Yeah, it's really weird. He's kind of all over the place here. Um, From there, we cut to a guy coming out of a building with a bag. This car pulls up behind him. Uh, They're chasing him. I, I honestly have no idea what's happening this scene. Have we seen this guy before? Nope, I don't think so. And I don't even recognize the people who chase him. If there was ever a padding scene or a gratuitous action scene, it's this one. Uh, that's fair, I think. We cut from there to Dolomite and Queen Bee. They're strategizing. Queen Bee gets a call from Cavaletti who wants her to send over some of her girls. She tells him that they're all in their monthlies. That's her words. <laughs> But he calls bullshit on that, because what are the chances, and tells her she better send them over or he'll kill the two girls he took. Dolomite, who is listening on their line, has heard all this and says, Are you fat suit-eating motherfucker? That's <laughs> such a strange insult, and it comes back again. This isn't the only time that the rat soup stuff comes in. I love it. I'm going to start using that in my daily life. I think that's fucking tremendous. From there, we cut to Detective Maddox, Maddox, Pete, whatever his name is. A group of guys run up and tell him about the mystery scene we saw a second ago. Apparently, that was Cavaletti's men, and they shot Jeff. <laughs> They're like, he killed my brother, and he's yeah. like, oh, they killed Jeff? I guess that guy's name was Jeff. Why did we care about Jeff, and what was that? Like, why were Cavaletti's men chasing him? I don't. I didn't understand. That's really strange. Uh, so, either way, the detective goes to the station to look at some mug shots. But when the lieutenant finds out, he's like, forget that. Just get Dolomite. And this is where we think that the detective is kind of like turning good. He decides he's got some vacation times up and he's going to take it starting right now. So he kind of storms off, doesn't like the way this is headed. And here's where we sort of switch back to Dolomite. And Dolomite wants to get some information on where the house is where the girls are being held. Where's this weird haunted house where they've been taken to? Yeah, he's got a tip from some really shifty looking dude who we don't really know his nature in this story. But he tells Dolomite the girls are probably being held at what he calls a torture chamber. And that if Dolomite can find Cavaletti's main woman, she can tell him where. So from there, uh, that's all Dolomite needs. He goes to her house. He's immediately at the house of Cavaletti's main woman. And he pretends to be an artist selling paintings door to door. This is airtight. This is an airtight deception. <laughs> He's got a fake accent. He's dressed in this like kind of funny costume. He, I think he might even have like a fake mustache on. Or he's got some fake glasses. And so he's pretending to be this art dealer who is selling erotic art. And he'd heard from that sort of sketchy dude that she was a huge nymphomaniac. And so he brings very sexy art. And, and what happens? Yeah, the painting is of a black man and a white woman having sex. And when she sees this painting, she is deeply turned on. This whole scene is like he's like hypnotizing her. Uh, she pulls her boobs out immediately, which is whatever, in keeping with the tone of this movie. And then we get this like art house dream sequence. She's lying on some like child's wooden blocks that spell bed. 
and a series of black men just emerge from a toy chest while she rubs herself. This is so fucking strange. <laughs> yeah, she goes into this strange dream fantasy sequence once she sees this erotic painting. And it lasts for quite a long time. It's pretty slow. And then we transition into, or sort of out of that dream sequence, into her and Dolomite in Hold bed on. together. Hold on. You skipped the slide. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so... The transition happens when we have a slide or the perspective of many of those black men who came out of the toy box coming down a slide right into her vagina. (laughs) She's just laying there on the ground, like beckoning them forward, and they just slide down one after the other. Yeah, she's spread eagle as these men are coming down a slide naked into her groin region. (laughs) And from that, we transition into the two of them together in her bed. And as this has happened, he's shouting, what? This scene is fucking ridiculous. The bed is swinging around, the doors are opening and closing, lights are flickering on and off, and the roof collapses. I give this scene an 11 out of 10. This is just a tremendous scene of it sexual conflict. It is hilarious. Yeah, there is fire coming from different parts of the room. This is where the human tornado, or the human sex tornado, as it should be called, <laughs> sort of really comes into play, because I guess so, their man. lovemaking, or his moves, are just fucking smashing the room, literally tearing it apart. And as, like, the whole roof is falling down on them, she's finally finishing, and Inso does tell him where those ladies are. Yeah, man, the scene ends with her trapped under the roof, just repeatedly saying, there's a house on the hill in Pasadena. There's a house on the hill in Pasadena. He the info out of her (laughs) now he knows where to go man yeah that's how it works i guess when you're dolomite that's what you got to do use the tools you got and uh he did uh from there we get another scene with the sheriff he's getting impatient now the lieutenant from the california police tells him that his best man is on it but when the sheriff finds out that his best man is black he becomes incredulous he drops several N-bombs, and the lieutenant goes off on him, saying they don't have any N-words here, just damn fine policemen. And the sheriff stomps off, grumpy, determined to find Dolomite himself. Good for the lieutenant. I did not see that coming. No, because he, he wasn't demonstrating that he was sort of not anything but an absolute racist. But I don't know. It was interesting to see that choice. You mentioned the drop of the N-bomb. Most of the white characters in the movie use it very openly and freely, and it's really uncomfortable. What's strange about this, though, is he kind of stomps off, and I'll find him myself, and you think the lieutenant's like stood up to him here, and he's kind of parted ways with this like clearly racist character. But the next time we see the sheriff... Lieutenant's right there with them and they're busting in there together. So I don't like, you know, here right. I am being like, I didn't, yeah, I guess it's true. Not. It's like, right. Yeah. They were there and he had him. I don't know. It's a, it's really strange. Yeah. I mean, you needed to have the antagonists and like really clearly having the racist sheriff worked really well for like pushing forward the plot and having someone who you wanted Dolomite and his crew to defeat. Right. Yeah. And again, I hate that this is our beer connection. <laughs> You're going to have to let that one go. We we wanted to talk about Human Tornado. Um, we did. And we've made it happen. And that's where we are. Yeah, I guess you're right. From there, Cavaletti makes another call to Queen Bee. He's having a birthday party and he wants some girls. So Queen Bee this time says they'll be there. But once she hangs up, she tells her crew that this time it'll be the party to end all parties. This is when they're going to make their move. 
Now, as they're plotting this out, the doorbell rings, and it's Howard Jackson. I'd never heard of him, but apparently he's a big deal. So is this the second time in this movie we've had someone playing themselves? Clearly, yes. After Java, we got you mean? Java we got, we got Java and Howard, Howard Jackson. Jackson. Holy yeah. shit, look at this. Hurricane Annie confirms that he's legit. Uh, apparently, he's the guy who taught her karate, so we, now we find out that she knows karate also. Before you know it, it's go time. Cavaletti's car is there to pick them up, and the plan is the girls are going to go ahead, and Dolomite and his crew are going to show up later. Speaking of Dolomite, he's at the house on the hill in Pasadena, and we just get a kung fu scene to end all kung fu scenes. This scene of him rescuing the girls from the haunted house is madness. Like, there's so much going on. I'm going to let you describe it a bit. All I'm going to say is that my notes... They kind of look like a mind map. Okay. Uh, you know, when you draw those in school. Yeah. And in the very center of that mind map, it says, holy fuck. And then I have <laughs> exactly. a whole bunch of points off to it, off of it from how many insane things happen in this haunted house. So I'll try, uh, yeah, I'll try and cover this the best I can. But as you pointed out, there's so many things going on. This is just, I'm not going to do this justice. I'm not even going to fucking try. But so first of all, all of the action scenes it's sped up, like the car chase from earlier. So when he's kicking and punching these guys, it is clearly accelerated. It does not look even remotely real. He's beating guys senseless. He's talking gibberish, so he's kind of like alternating between these weird like mouth like noises and like just saying like nonsense. Um, at one point, he jumps like 30 feet in the air. Like there's, there's guys closing <laughs> in on him and there's like a ledge yeah. up above that he leaps up to. No human being could ever jump this high. But again, he's Dolomite. He has magical powers. The kicks that he is putting on these guys are like the worst kicks I've ever seen. He's not getting above anyone's, like he's barely above their knees. He's not even reaching waist height <laughs> on most of these guys. And the sound effects, my God. They're so out of sort of connection with when the actual punches <laughs> sure are landing i think because they sped everything up it was so much harder to edit in the sound as well right so it was just so poorly timed there's a hilarious death where a guy goes over the balcony okay, okay i have to jump in here because this is yeah this is what i mentioned earlier when i said this is perhaps the most incredible thing i've ever seen committed to film so earlier he kind of broke the fourth wall with some of the narration this goes like so far beyond that. So I'll, I'll try my best to describe this, but I'm, again, I'm not going to do this justice either. He throws someone off a balcony. They fall down to the ground, but then it like rewinds and the guy comes back up where he was. It's literally just reversing the footage. Then Dolomite throws him back down again, which is the same footage from earlier, of course. And he tells the guy, you should have stayed down there. It's like he broke the fourth wall then built a fifth wall and then also broke that because now he's narrating <laughs> yeah. what is an instant replay of something that happened in the movie. So we're so far beyond fourth wall. He's either a genius or the most insane human being who's ever made a fucking movie. Like, there's no in between. I was mind blown by this. I'm talking about it now and I'm still like, what the fuck did I just witness? Yeah, it was pretty special. And, and the guy, of course, on the second time going down there splayed out with like Kind of in the wrong body positions, blood pouring out of him. Like, he was not coming back for a six-wall kind of appearance here. There's you, you didn't mention that the music behind this whole scene was also incredibly special. And then after this sort of fight scene, we, we clip down to the girls in the basement again. 
And they're with one of the henchmen. And it's at this point that I realized that the henchman has a painted on beard. Yeah, that's not hair. I don't know what that is, but that is not hair. I don't know if they've drawn this on him. It looks really strange. All of these things together are coming to, uh, like, they're leading off of my holy fuck mind map on my page. This is beautiful. You're doing a good job. It's just incredible. You could, like, I we're just trying to describe this to you now, but if you haven't seen this. you got to go watch it. At re- least rest for assured. That, yeah, yeah, for sure. Nothing that we're saying will prepare you for what this all actually looks like. <laughs> it, you can't imagine it. No. You just can't imagine you it. You can't. And it's worth watching. You gotta, you gotta go see this. So this henchman with the painted on beard, uh, they've had these women in the basement for at least a couple of days now. But he decides now is the time to kill them. So what he does is he lights a candle that will burn a rope that will drop a bed of nails on one of the girls. I believe it's Java who is lying on the floor currently tied up. I think you're right. I think this is yeah, Java playing Java. Luckily, <laughs> that's right. Luckily, Rudy Ray Moore, playing Dolomite, appears, breaks this guy's neck, and pulls the girl out of the way just in time. He also removes a grenade the henchman had kind of stuck on the other girl, throws it away, we get a generous little explosion there. And at this point, you, to me, were like, are we going to get a threesome right here? <laughs> they don't have time to have a threesome now. They have to go rescue Queen Bee and everyone else. So, no, there's not, there's no threesome. There wasn't they time for that to little. happen, right? If the, in the porn version of Dolomite, right, uh, it would have happened. <laughs> I mean, hang on. How are you going to make a porn version of Dolomite? Dolomite is basically the porn version of Dolomite. This is just I like... I mean, has anyone ever made uh, a porn based on any of the Dolomite movies? Great question. Don't know the answer. Send us a message in our DMs. Or at DM. least that's my that's what <laughs> Send I'm <saying>. messages. <laughs> I don't no, I don't know. Uh, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm sticking with. Um, there's no time for a threesome. They decide to fight their way out after some more rhyming, in which I love this one. He fucking says the rhyme ends with, Yes, I'll forge my way in here, folks. I'm rough and ready. So, girls, let's go and get that motherfucking cavalier. <laughs> that is a good one. I like that one too. God damn it, his rhyming is delightful. Yeah. Oh, they beat up a couple more goons in their way out. And then we cut to Detective Maddox. It's the Detective Murder is the lieutenant's best man. He calls in a tip that the shit is about to go down at Cavaletti's house, and that's where we're headed next. We see the party in full swing. There's a dude in a Speedo who looks kind of like a 70s version of Justin Long, and he's putting on a nunchuck show? Yeah, I guess they've got him from South America, and he's South America's best nunchucker? I don't know. He decides to wear just a banana hammock to show off his skills, and uh, it's impressive. Yeah, he's dressed like the Martians in Mars Attacks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I guess, yeah. Martians liked it sexy. So does this guy, apparently. Apparently. So Queen Bee and the girls arrive and the guys are close behind them. Dolomite's crew ambushes some caterers and steal their uniforms. So now they are in this party and it's just about time for action. Hurricane Annie kicks it off as a guy who asked her to go for a swim tries to like strangle her to death, but she turns the tables on him. What a weird fucking scene this was. Yeah, so the detective had mentioned that the party would also have two hitmen. And we kind of hear that Cavaletti's hired these hitmen to take out Queen Bee, Dolomite, and I think Hurricane. So this is why the hitman had asked Hurricane out to the pool. He tries to strangle her with his tie. Not a bow tie, by the way, so not cool. But uh, <laughs> So he goes to try to, to take her out, but she turns the tables on him and takes him down with that his own tie, strangles him to death. Hurricane takes out one. Yeah, and another goon sees this and is about to kill her and Queen Bee, but that's just when Dolomite and the two kidnapped girls show up and save them. And now it's time for another giant fight scene. Between legitimate karate man Howard Jackson, 
Dolomite and his all-girl kung fu army, which is how this movie was actually marketed, which is just fucking incredible. Is that what they said? Because that's sweet. Yeah, man. Young Ernie Hudson is landing some good shots, too, mostly headbutts. And all of the sound effects, like you mentioned earlier, they're all, like, just slightly off, which is delightful. <laughs> like, they're not quite perfect. Oh. They're close, but not close enough. Yeah, this whole fight in the house where Dolomite's crew is just kicking the shit out of Cavaletti's is pretty awesome. It's a giant clown fiesta, and it goes on for a really <laughs> long time. It's like 10 minutes long. It lasts so long. <laughs> really long time where you just see people on the ground getting pummeled. You get a lot of headbutts, a lot of people being thrown around. You get some jokes about a fat guy who can't get hurt with punches and like <laughs> yeah, that's true and the, oh my god the sound effect when he fucking bonks that guy in the head is oh, ridiculous the yeah oh yeah. my goodness yeah oh my god so dolomite's big fight in all this is against the nunchuck guy who is now fully dressed uh they kind of go back and forth but 70s justin long pulls out the nunchucks which have no effect on dolomite but while he's busy dispatching him another one of cavalier's goons pulls out a gun and shoots one of dolomite's guys it's jimmy and this is where we get Ernie Hudson going for the Oscar. <laughs> it gets real serious. I mean, Jimmy does a dive or pushes Dolomite out of the way. That bullet would have hit Dolomite, right? He saves Dolomite there. Uh, Jimmy takes the bullet, and you're right. We get this very dramatic music, and it slows everything down, and they take a while for the death of Jimmy to happen. Oh, yeah, it comes out of nowhere. This, like, this is the most dramatic scene in the whole movie. Ernie Hudson is just begging Jimmy to talk to him and crying as he dies in his arms. He even does that thing where he's like, he's just playing. He's just playing. Come on, man, get up. Like that thing where you're kind of like, oh, God, he's dead. Like stop talking to him like he's alive. Um, I have to say, uh, they did not earn this dramatic scene right here. This is not, <laughs> Nothing in this movie has set us up uh, for this dramatic scene. No, I. it didn't make me like... I, I was not happy that he ate one for, for Dolomite, but it wasn't in a way that I you ever got sad or really pulled into the drama. You're right. <laughs> no. This was way too action, silly, slapsticky, the entire thing for that to work, right? You're just like, is this really happening? Uh, at this point, Cavaletti tries to make his exit along with his lady from the erotic dream sequence from earlier. But Hurricane Annie takes the woman down. Now, the police arrive with the sheriff. Again, they're together, which I don't understand, because the last time we saw him, he stormed out, so he was doing it on his own, but I guess not. Yeah, it was weird. I don't know. Yeah. The police are looking for Cavaletti, who we gather they've been after for some time. He's involved in some shady dealings, but he's already out of the house, and he's about to get away, but Dolomite grabs him and forces him to drive to the torture chamber, and that is where Cavaletti is going to get his just desserts, because uh, Dolomite straps him to a table, and then what happens? He straps him to the table, he takes off his pants, and then he releases rats onto his crotch. And those rats eat his dick. They eat his dick. Yeah. <laughs> they just chew it right off. I mean, that's a fitting end probably for Cavaletti, the gangster mobster, right? He was a pretty horrible person. But actually, he doesn't die. He just gets his dick eaten off. And who busts in right as that's sort of happening? Well, and that's where the police and sheriff find him lying there on that table, dickless all of a sudden. And as Dolomite tries to escape, the sheriff chases him down and seemingly kills him. We see the sheriff shoot Dolomite in the back and then several more times on the ground. And the sheriff walks away laughing to himself, satisfied with the job well done. But Dolomite's too smart for all that. He rolls over after a little more rhyming, talking about the sheriff thinks he's dead, and reveals that he's been wearing a bulletproof vest. This bulletproof vest uh, legitimately looks like it was made from aluminum foil. This is a terrible <laughs> bulletproof yeah, vest. It was a like a leather vest, sort of like a motorcyclist thin leather vest that in the inside they had sort of glued 
or paper mache some tinfoil to. There's no heft to this vest at all. It is like as thin as the fucking premise of this movie. <laughs> and it's it's kind of interesting, right? So he's not dead. He he sort of makes a taunt at the sheriff, right? You think you can kill me? I'm the human tornado. Yeah, he laughs as the sheriff leaves. Yeah, he, he sort of narrates that whole piece again. We sort of end on a narration. And then we head to credits. And that's it, man. We're fucking out. This was uh like, I, I'm shocked to find out this was an hour 48 because this was a breezy hour 48 yeah it actually went by quite quick um many of the movies we watch you'll hear us complain about how often we look at the clock and how how long they drag on for being really bad movies and uh this one didn't feel that way for me at all flew right by and so here we are at the end and this is the point where we review the movie the way this works we rate the movie on a scale of one to ten we do it twice one to ten for how bad it is one to ten for how enjoyable it is and the goal is to find a movie that is 10 out of 10 on both scales or as we call it the crit Crit 20 and i'm gonna go first and say that for me this is definitely in play because this movie is 10 out of 10 bad the acting is atrocious the plot is nonsensical the action scenes are the most ridiculous shit you will ever see in your life (laughs) rudy ray moore has been in no way shape or form trained to perform any kind of the martial arts move that he performs in this Everything he says fucking rhymes. We got the fourth wall breaking, the fucking fifth wall being built and then breaking. This movie is patently absurd. It's ridiculous. It is so, so amateurish uh, in so many ways. I have to give it a 10 out of 10 bad. What do you say? You're right. It's a 10 out of 10 bad. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> you can't you can't argue that. There's so much gratuitous nudity. There is gratuitous <laughs> so violence. Much. The... Action sequences that are sped up to make the slow motion choreography kicks and punches look even remotely real, (laughs) right, are there. All of the big sort of scenes are just so absurd. They're just out of this world, right? And you can tell that this was just driven by one man. I don't, I didn't know anything about him before. I'm really interested to watch and learn some more about him because I have some admiration for what he's done here. Even though it's a 10 out of 10 bad in what it is as a theatrical film, I do admire the effort in this. Yeah, man. So uh, how about enjoyability? How enjoyable for you on a scale of 1 to 10 was this movie? I enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun watching it. I laughed a lot at some of the ridiculousness. I enjoyed the rhyming. I enjoyed uh, the sort of clusterfuck kind of clown fiesta fights that happened throughout there. Um, there were some things, though, that I didn't enjoy, and, and those were the, like, horrible racism and all of the end bombs dropped. That was a challenge for me. And I know that this is this is dated, right? Like, I know this dated. I know that that's intentional, right, as a well, way to... Gonna, but, it's, it, but it's especially intentional because in the context of a black man writing a movie, yeah. your antagonists are are going to be racist because yeah. that's the no, racism no, you've been in your life. I just, yeah. in our current situation or our current place and time, I, I struggled with that. Um, so what I wrote down for enjoyability uh, was a nine. Oh, my God. So close. I knew. I gave it a nine. Yeah. And it's so hard because I, I haven't thrown one out yet and this one was really close to being my very first crit 20 um but i couldn't pull the trigger but i'm i'm very curious to see what you say right here because i i wouldn't be surprised if one comes out (laughs) so here's the thing I have seen this before. I've seen all the Dolomite movies and even the movies that are made by Rudy Ray Moore that are not specifically Dolomite in title, but they're essentially the same thing. Like he basically just plays Dolomite in all of his movies. 
So the original Dolomite is a blast exploitation classic. Um, that was his baby start to finish. He put his own spin on it. It's delightful. But the Human Tornado is even better. It takes everything about the first one and produces a better, more enjoyable movie. There is more nudity, more laughs, more ridiculous action. The whole instant replay, fourth wall, fifth wall thing, fucking incredible. Like, even now, thinking about it, I've seen this movie three or four times. I'm still just so perplexed at how a human being could think of, like, that sequence of events. I found this wildly enjoyable. I think everyone should fucking watch this. I do have it as a 10 out of 10 bad, thus making it a second ever Crit 20. Because this movie is enjoyable as fuck. It's hilarious. Much like our last Crit 20, I have it as 10 and 10. You have it as 10 and 9. That appears to be the benchmark for how we're going to do this henceforward. Like if you hit a 19, it's a pretty good bet that I'm at a 20. Yeah. It's going in the Bad Movies and Beer Hall of Fame along with Silent and Deadly Night, our second ever Crit 20. <laughs> I love it. I, I love that you're hyped. I like it. I, I could not in any way take away from that. I'm happy to see another Crit 20. Um, I feel like I haven't given it only because I, like, it, it wasn't a movie that sort of blew me away in terms of enjoyability. And maybe I'm being too harsh here in what's going to push me to that Crit 20 scale, right? I think I'm just holding on right now to... It's got to be the movie, and it hasn't yet. I don't know how many of those we'll ever find, but or maybe we never will. Yeah, but that, but that's the goal. So we're going to keep looking. Yeah. Um, next week, I don't know if we're going to find it next week, but next week, we're getting back in the cage. <laughs> I mean, going to Nicolas Cage is, I don't think, ever going to be a bad idea when you have a podcast about bad movies. <laughs> and this one is a legendarily bad movie. We are going to be watching the Nick Cage remake of a 70s horror classic. It's The Wicker Man next week. So I have never seen this. I have no idea. Although I know that some of the quotes from it tend to pop up in memes and other things. So I'm kind of looking forward to that, like seeing where those actually come from. I'll be honest. I've never seen this either. I've seen the original Wicker Man, but this one, the Nick Cage version, is going to be brand new to me. And I thought to myself, it's our season finale. What better way to go out than with our boy Nick Cage? I like that. Before we head out, though, we got to talk about the beer. Of course. Let's get to this beer. What'd you think? So we have uh, the Sheriff. (laughs) Not our favorite character from the movie, but it's from uh, Outlaw Brewing Co. Um, This, to me, is sort of a good example of traditional IPAs. So this is sort of how they started. Um, Malt forward, a lot of caramel notes with a late sort of hop, a very piney hop flavor in your mouth after it finishes. So this is funny you say this because when I think of IPAs, I think more hop forward, less malt forward. We've talked about this throughout the season. Mm -hmm. One of the things I've learned about myself is I prefer malty beers. You prefer hoppy beers. This is an IPA that I actually enjoyed probably because of those malty notes. And so as I'm drinking this, I'm like, no, it's not going to fucking like this, but I do. (laughs) Um, To me, this is, I think, where IPAs kind of started. And my tastes have definitely changed over time. I have become way more familiar with the really hop forward, less malty, more citrusy IPAs. And so this definitely doesn't go into my sort of IPA Hall of Fame if we're looking at there. I, I prefer a different style of IPAs now. Was it a bad IPA? Definitely not. They did a good job with sort of creating a traditional IPA. And I'd like to try more beers from the Outlaw Bruco. But I definitely understand why you enjoyed it more than I did this evening. Me too. And I, you know, let me say, thrilled about it. Because every time I see a beer with an IPA, I'm like, oh, fuck, man, this is not going to be my week. But this was kind of my week. So I did. Yeah, it. no, there you go. I, I want the really dank hop bomb. 
don't taste any of those caramel malt notes. I want it to be uh, the other way, but that's okay. That's just who I am now. There you go. So uh, that'll pretty much do it for this because we mentioned next week's season finale. We're watching The Wicker Man. Um, if you have not already, please follow us on social media at the BMB Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Feel free to send us recommendations through DM at our social medias or send us an email at the BMB Podcast at gmail.com. Absolutely. We are looking for recommendations for our second season, which will be coming to you uh, in the fall around September, just like our first season did. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening. Until next week, I'm Cooper. And I'm Nolan. And we'll see you next time on Bad Movies and Beer. Keep it windy. What? <laughs> Hurricanes and tornadoes. Oh, they're okay. That okay. That's <laughs> what the everyone knows it's windy. Watch out, Mister. Here comes the twister. <laughs> <laughs>